Happy Sunday, my lovely congregation, and welcome back to Pillow Talk, the interview series of Pussy Church, where I call some of my favorite erotic creators. This is Laura, an erotica writer and the creator of Tales of Laura, which you can find at talesoflaura.com and at Tales of Laura on Instagram. And today I'm checking in with therapist and sex and relationship specialist Ian Kerner. We talked about his best-selling book, She Comes First, his top three tips on the art of giving condolingus, and then we answered your most pressing questions. Amen. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to Pillow Talk the special interview edition of Pussy Church, where I talk to some of my favorite creators. And today I'm here with Dr. Ian Kerner, a licensed psychotherapist and nationally recognized sexuality counselor, as well as the New York Times bestselling author of the book, She Comes First. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hi, nice to see you, Laura. <laughs> nice to see you too. I love your book, She Comes First. I just started reading your new book, so tell me about the last time you had sex. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Is you. it new? It came out last year, right? Uh, yeah, I think it came out April of um, 2021. Tell me, and the listeners obviously, what made you want to become a sex therapist or go into this field of work? Sure. I definitely did not uh, grow up thinking I was going to be uh, a, a sex therapist. Um, but, you know, I grew up in the um, late 70s and the early 80s, and um, there was no internet. Uh, mm. There were no men's magazines. There was no good sexual information out there. And I really struggled with pretty common sexual issues at the time, just as a, a young guy who had, you know, performance anxiety and didn't know much about sex. I, I suffered mainly from early ejaculation, which is mm. a really common problem that Very uh, common, yeah. men deal with. Um, but it really affected my ability to um, be the kind of lover that I wanted to be. And I felt like I was a very sexual, erotic and sensual person, but I wasn't able to really translate any of that into sexual experiences. So I would say grappling with sexual issues really led to um, a de depression and mm. a sense of hopelessness. And I kind of did everything I could to figure out how to solve my problem. So I read yeah. all of the works of Masters and Johnson and mm -hmm. Alfred Kinsey and Cher Knight and Helen Singer <laughs> Kaplan. Um, and I really gave myself an education in, in sex therapy. Um, and eventually I did have a personal um, journey um, towards healing. And along the way, I really realized um, that so many of my ideas about sex were based in cultural and societal ideas about sex. And that yeah. even if I could ha last as long as I wanted and, you know, maintain an erection as long as I wanted, that would have very little to do with the pleasure of my partner, which I really considered uh, paramount. So I also got this whole education in what I call clitoracy. You know, I went from nice. being so clitorate to being clitoral. <laughs> and I really developed a whole 
clitoral way of thinking about sexuality. So not only was I able to kind of solve a lot of my own problems, I was also completely able to expand my understanding of female pleasure and what mutual yeah. pleasure um, should look like. So that's really um, uh, my journey. And I very much relate to the young people that I see coming in with very similar problems that I dealt with, I don't know, 35 years ago or something like that. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like what you just um, shared about the interests that sparked um, your career, really, right? I feel like a lot of people in the field of sexuality, or maybe most people, I don't know, who do something that they're passionate about, have questions right, yes. about, about being alive and about being a human that they can't seem to find the answer to. Or nobody has given them the answer, especially in sexuality, if you think about it. Yeah, way. I mean, that's a very insightful observation. And I think it's especially true of sexuality that many yeah. of the most prominent figures in sex therapy and sex research have struggled with their own issues related to sexuality and have felt erotically marginalized and have really been not just researchers or therapists, um, but advocates and evangelists mm. and are incredibly passionate. And I think what we're all trying to do is to normalize ourselves, mm. to not feel marginalized, to not feel abnormal. Yeah, I, I, I really hear that. I mean, I think even... My journey, um, I mean, my journey comes from a similar thing. I feel like I've never, I've never gotten any kind of education that dealt with female pleasure. I mean, I knew my own, <laughs> and even that felt um, so strange, and I didn't know what was normal and how my desire was normal or not, or even even about my own anatomy, right? Mm -hmm. How long it's taken researchers and then people to even teach women and men that matter also regarding your book um even about the basics of female anatomy absolutely absolutely i mean i think um i think we come into sex with a lot of um negative beliefs and stereotypes about how we're supposed to perform so men have this idea about how they're supposed to gain and maintain uh erections and how long they're supposed to last and uh women have beliefs about how they're supposed to orgasm and there's just all of these uh, cultural scripts that make it very difficult to actually be uh, interconnected and to experience pleasure. And I think because so much of the sexual anatomy of women is internal as opposed mm -hmm. to external, I think it makes it a little um, Uh, extra challenging, you know, and so now we yes. have to deal with this question of what is an orgasm? Is it a result of clitoral stimulation or vaginal stimulation? What is the G spot? Is it an independent part of the vagina or is it an extension of the clitoris, right? Because so much is internal uh, and because so much, so much less has been uh, studied and written about sexuality over yes. the years, it remains a challenge. So how was that when, when your book came out, she comes first in 2004. Correct. I was reading your book a couple of years ago already and I was feeling like, wow, that must have been very revolutionary 20 years ago. It still is today. You know what I mean? But then I was thinking about that just in time difference. And um, how was that when that book came out? It was um, a lot of fun. I mean, it's very hard. <laughs> 
I, I mean, sexuality is still a very taboo topic. It was then, it was now. I mean, that's yes. not to say that there isn't a lot of sexualization and sexiness, but actually talking about real human sexuality uh, remains sort of shrouded in shame and it's still a taboo. So it's still difficult, even though a book gets out there and it does well, uh, it's still difficult. Um, uh, sometimes to get the word out. But you know, somebody just sent me um, a TikTok video that mm -hmm. someone did that featured She Comes First in it. And it was like a young college kid. And I think it got something like 12 million views and 5,000 oh, awesome. comments <laughs> of people just talking about the book. And that was really heartening to see like just a whole nother generation yes. of young people. And And look, there's so much information about this stuff on the web and social media. So I'm really honored and privileged that uh, the book still is somehow a presence in, in the world. Um, and, how, uh, how would you describe the book to listeners? I mean, I, I'll do it, of course, um, in a second because start? I have many questions. Description. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I know it's written towards men, but I think Even in the intro, you'd actually do say it's for everybody, right? So I got to say that. But for me, it was such an interesting way and perspective to see it. And I see it as like a, a guide to female pleasure, mm -hmm. female anatomy, and then giving pleasure and yeah, clitoral stimulation. I, I, I think that's true. And I think the thing that I said then that was most radical and I think still remains radical uh, for both men and women is this idea of really um, intercourse existing on the same playing field as other sexual behaviors that are more outer course based, yes. kissing, manual stimulation, oral sex. And I think I really maintained that oral sex uh, was a better way or a superior way Uh, to pleasure women than uh, intercourse. And I think that, <laughs> yes. uh, uh, and, and, and I really contended that um, uh, we should be building sexual events that are primarily outer course based as opposed to intercourse based. So I have found that uh, some men rebel against that idea. Mm -hmm. And uh, still, some men love, yeah, and some men absolutely love it and consider it so liberating that they don't have to be so penis focused. And I find that some women really point to the book as like, uh, I want oral sex or I want this to be more integrated into a sexual experience. But I'm also so surprised at women who want to have all of their sexual experiences intercourse based even if it means they're not going to have orgasms. So mm. um, why do you think that is? Do you think that's just like um, cultural scripts that are learned or? Because why yeah. do you prioritize your own pleasure? I mean, there's so many questions I have constantly for <laughs> the yeah. things that we are taught and that we are perpetuate. Well, um, I, I think that in oral sex, um, a woman receiving, I think it's a very intimate act. I think it can be very okay. vulnerable in ways that intercourse is not. You know, I hear from women, you know, this idea that my uh, vulva is going to be uh, smelled and tasted and, mm. and seen. Um, women worry that men don't really or partners don't really enjoy doing it, that it's a chore or it's boring. Uh, yeah. And I think... Um, 
so I think a lot of it has to do with, I guess, what we would call sort of genital self-esteem and, mm. and, and that vulnerability. Yeah. And then to your point, Laura, just about, you know, when the cultural scripts around something like intercourse are so reinforced, if you're not engaging in intercourse, you still wonder that, are we sort of broken? Am mm -hmm. I broken? Is this actual sex or is this not real sex or, or good enough sex? So I think that there's a number of uh, kind of factors um, that combine. It's interesting because that to me also brings in this constant topic about performance, right? When we when we talk about what has to be achieved for this to be a good sexual experience or a real sexual experience or a valuable sexual experience, that we have so many points that need to be hit, like somebody's taping us and rating us at the end of it, <laughs> whereas just being with a partner and enjoying that moment without having a constant checklist of what needs to be rated. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you the biggest problem, uh, the, one of the biggest trends I'm seeing, I don't know if trend is the right word. One of the biggest issues I'm encountering is young men who are in their 20s and 30s who suffer from psychological erectile unpredictability. They cannot get erections or they can't maintain mm. their erections. It's often... Um, around intercourse they can have erections for other sexual behaviors but it's often they can't for intercourse and i think it really comes down to uh, a performance anxiety a lot of people mm. tend to uh blame it on porn and the idea that porn has sort of rewired the male brain or that they has made them used to a kind of visual novelty and i i kind of have a different idea uh, about the effect of porn and performance anxiety which is that Basically, porn is easy, right? If I'm masturbating to porn, I can pick whatever scene I want. Nobody's going to judge me for my taste. Nobody's looking over my shoulder. Nobody's evaluating my performance. I don't have to worry about any, anybody else's pleasure and whether I'm doing well. So it's just yeah. tremendously easy. And, you know, sex with another person, it's not so easy. It's yeah. amazing. It's enjoyable. It's deep. It's complex, but it's not just easy. Mm. How you approach that would really interest me um, with your clients and everything, because I wonder what partners can do for each other to relieve pressure, you know, because there is something to be said about loving, let's say this is a committed relationship or not, it doesn't really matter, yeah, but like loving and respecting your partner um, even if it's that for that one night, yeah. But to give somebody the space to be like, it's okay. Whatever is going to happen here is going to be okay. Like, there's, I'm not expecting anything from you, but maybe that you're here with me. Yeah, I, I think you know, and I think I was someone that suffered from this anxiety as well, mm -hmm. and it got in the way of every sexual experience I was having as a young person. And I think it comes down to shame, embarrassment, and not being willing to communicate. Yeah. I mean, I think if you could just be honest, and I see this in so many patients today, they don't want to be honest about the issues they're facing. So they don't want to go on a date and say, hey, is it okay if we leave, if we don't have intercourse? I just, I get a little nervous and I want to ease into it or get to know you, right? Like nobody wants to admit mm. that they have a sexual problem. And so I think yeah. it just... We're not communicating, uh, which makes it even harder. And I think it just, um, 
it raises the stakes and we don't get to collaborate on what a sexual experience should look like. But I would like to believe that if I'm vulnerable with somebody and if I say, hey, you know, um, I don't like, uh, if I'm a woman, I, I don't always love intercourse or I love this more than that, or sometimes sex hurts or uh, whatever it is, I, I think we have the ability to be empathetic and respectful of that. But people are afraid they don't feel mm -hmm. like sex is an emotionally safe topic to talk about. Yes, absolutely. They really do. I think it's very interesting because it's with um, eating and breathing, <laughs> probably the most common human <laughs> behavior. Um, so it always blows my mind. But I also know where I was, right, when I was a teenager um, and how I had no clue how to even mention anything sexually speaking like, to my partners. But I mean, with cunnilingus, I think that's interesting too because I just, interestingly enough, I few hours ago, I had a conversation with a girlfriend of mine regarding um, a new partner of hers who is not super willing to go down on her. And to me, that's a bit strange. <laughs> I haven't really had this experience very often, but obviously I think it might be a bit easier with my job because, you know, the, the topic of sexuality comes up quite a bit. But do you think somebody not willing to or being afraid of giving cunnilingus um is that also about performance or is that about it can certainly be about performance and uh lack of experience again if i had to put on a scale men who avoid cunnilingus or women who avoid having men do cunnilingus mm. the women's side of the scale is heavier i find really? more men interested in giving <gasps> and women not interested in receiving them no absolutely absolutely oh my god i kid you not at all i, I mean again you know i'm working although you got to remember i'm working with couples who come in with issues and come in with problems well, so very <laughs> I often think most have issues <laughs> right but so very often it could be a male partner you know, no, I was just working with a couple yesterday and so many women love to rush to intercourse, even if, mm. like I said, even if it's not the thing that's going to give them the most pleasure that they're going to orgasm. So I think that there are men who are reluctant uh, to give oral sex. I've heard guys say it's not my favorite thing or um, it's a little bit of a chore. But, you know, with those men... I would argue as well, they're a little disconnected from the overall experience and the yes. overall pleasure and the overall enjoyment. Like if you're attracted and into your partner uh, and you can get absorbed and present, I would maintain that almost anything that you do can be really pleasurable. So I think yes. to sort of say that something, I mean, listen, I, I respect Look, I respect anybody. There are so many paths to pleasure. If a woman doesn't want to receive oral sex, if uh, she doesn't want to give or she doesn't want to give oral sex, if, um, if it's not intercourse based, I don't think that anybody should be, um, you know, ever encouraged to do something that they 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 really don't want to do. Um, but I think that there are just so many amazing paths to pleasure. 
I mean, devil's advocate, though, I've <laughs> also talked to women who, for a portion of their lives, did not um, want cunnilingus or were reluctant to receive, um, and then had a partner who showed them that it could be something very pleasurable. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if there is also... If there is a very willing partner, you know, that makes you feel safe, if there is um, a bit of the shame or the reluctance that can be chipped away and therefore, I'm not saying everybody needs to love this, <laughs> even though I do. So I'm like, mm-hmm. it's strange to me. But still, of course, some people don't like it, right? Not everybody likes vanilla ice cream. Um, mm-hmm. But that there often might be a gap between the experience that they're having and that they could be having. Yeah, and, and you know, I think that sex is very unusual in that people come in with very firm decisions about themselves. I like this, I like that, I don't do this, I don't do that. And mm-hmm. it really makes it seem as though like, oh, this is like a biological condition. I can't give oral <laughs> sex. I I can't receive this. Like Oh, so it's written that's, in my the DNA. that's the parameters. You can't do this, this, and this. Oh, you're physically disabled in that way. So we have to work in oh this way, God. in this way, in this way. And it's like, <laughs> what other topic are people so rigid about? It's like, it's if so we funny. went out Good for point. sushi and you didn't like, you said, I don't like sushi. I may not say, come on, we can find something on the menu. Maybe you can try. You might be open, right, to, 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 yeah. to some flexibility. Or maybe we should move to this state. I don't like that state. But with sex, people are just so definitive about mm-hmm. how they think that they know themselves. Um, so I would hope that that person who maybe did have a negative experience and doesn't like it as a result, would be open to trying it again. Um, And I want to be clear too, Laura, the thing that uh, I emphasize most is it's not just oral sex, it's a total approach to sex that's and pleasure that is clitorally focused. Yes. So it can be manual stimulation, it can be stimulation with a sex toy, it can be intercourse uh, intercourse positions that provide clitoral stimulation. Uh, and it's about the lead up into clitoral stimulation, the je- the building up of arousal, the kind of clitoral stimulation, uh, the mutuality. So it's not just oral sex, long way of saying that. Makes complete sense. Yeah, I think it's just um, a refocusing, right, of really in the end of anatomy and like <laughs> the understanding how we receive pleasure. And because female pleasure hasn't really been prioritized or not even researched much, I think a lot of people just don't know. So in in that sense, even to your point of like really strict ideas about sexuality, I always find it very funny that it is something that people think they should know everything about without learning anything about it. A hundred percent. And so therefore, they're like, oh, yeah, well, this is not for me or... <laughs> Um, she should work this way, he should work this way yeah. without actually considering that, first of all, everyone's different. And second of all, you might want to read a book or listen yeah. to a podcast or yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anything. You know, you, know, you, know, you know what else is sad? I have so many people who come in now, I'm thinking about heterosexual couples, and very often like the female partner is like, oh, I don't orgasm during partnered sex. Orgasms are just for masturbation. And accepting that. 
as yeah. kind of the way it is and the way it's going to be. And uh, I'm not saying that orgasm is everything or that you have to be orgasm focused. But, but it's nice. <laughs> I think it's nice. I sure wouldn't want to like, I personally would not want to have a lot of sexual experiences where I knew I wasn't going to have an orgasm. Speaking Same. for myself. <laughs> <Same>. <laughs> you know, a lot of people end up accepting that. I have a few people who also wrote in, but we'll answer some questions later. But I think one question was, what are some basic tips you can give the listeners, um, how they can approach cunnilingus, let's say, because okay. a lot of, because a lot of, um, um, of, of the book is about really techniques. Yes. Three tips <laughs> that you have uh, for somebody well, starting see. out. The first thing I would say is that Cunnilingus, oral sex is an incredible activity, but it has to be at the right time that mm. very often um, some men jump to give cunnilingus uh, as the first thing they're doing. And, you know, it's really important that a partner kind of be aroused and warmed up and kind of ready for that kind of direct genital stimulation. So a lot of women sometimes say, oh, I don't like cunnilingus. It's ticklish or uh, even hurts or it's a little uncomfortable. And I think that's generally because they're not aroused enough to be ready for that kind of direct genital stimulation. So I really say, think about foreplay as a whole and start above the neck and then above the yes. waist, then go yes. below the waist. And when you're starting above the neck, it's not just physical, it's also psychological and how you're generating arousal psychologically. So I would say, in terms of cunnilingus tip number one, it's doing it at the right time uh, is, is, is an important uh, tip. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, number two, I think I would say understand um, the anatomy of the clitoris and that it's uh, external and internal. So probably the most sensitive part of the clitoris is the glands, which is the head of the clitoris, which is the... Uh, um, Part that most of us would identify as the clitoris. You know, it's a few cent, cent, centimeters above the vaginal entrance. It's a very sensitive area that responds to uh, consistent uh, rhythmic uh, stimulation. And so that part, um, so that's why very often, um, you know, you would say you could focus on external stimulation or really just stimulating the vulva as opposed to the vagina. But the clitoris um, has a lot of internal structures as well. And it kind of looks like uh, like the wishbone on a turkey. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. So yeah. like the tip of the wishbone is the part that's extruding the vulva that's visible, that you can see and lick and touch and taste. But going back from that part are, are legs, basically two legs like like a wishbone that wrap around uh, the entrance to the vaginal canal. Mm -hmm. And so that's why um, intercourse feels good when it feels good is because the vibration of intercourse is, is stimulating the internal structures of the clitoris. And the, the G spot is frankly just um, an area that sort of is nestled around those clitoral legs that happens to be stimulated through vibration internally, as opposed yes. to the external um, stimulation. So you can focus on internal stimulation of the vagina, but think about stimulating um, sort of the first two to three inches 
of the entrance to the vagina. Mm -hmm. Think about uh, width or girth as opposed to depth and really stimulating the walls of the vagina and creating vibration. So now you can involve your mouth um, and your hands. Um, I guess I would say the third thing is take it slow, um, to be consistent and to really let your partner lead. Sometimes the best thing that uh, a, a guy giving can do is to just provide um, a, a, a still point of resistance, right? A point mm. of resistance uh, that a woman is able to uh, lean into, push into, move against, grind against. So in a way, it's really the woman is stimulating herself in a way with a guy's mouth as opposed to the guy stimulating a woman um uh with his mouth yeah, um, yeah i think you that, said it in your book i think in a book you said cunnilingus is not something you do to her it's something you do with her exactly yeah. i even thought about it the other way around right giving oral sex to a man it's different obviously but similar concept that we always um We should think about how we can do it together. Absolutely. It's, it's a dance that we both need to uh, get into the flow of. So your latest book, so tell me about the last time you had sex. It came out last year and it's focused on couples. Um, couples, but I mean, I think that, that singles could benefit from it too. But, um, you know, basically the title of the book, So Tell Me About the Last Time You Had Sex, is, is a question that I ask a lot of couples and individuals when they come in to see me when they have some, some sort of uh, sexual mm. issue because I really under, want to understand sort of what sex in action looks like. You know, what is the actual sex script? What are the behaviors that they are engaging in from beginning to end, from initiating to building Uh, desire and arousal to orgasms to even the space in between sexual events and 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 a single kind of um, event tells such a rich story and so it's basically yeah. a book that um, sort of promotes the idea of kind of knowing yourself sexually and what you like and what you don't like and exploring and learning more about what you like and what you don't like and then how to like sort of construct that into a sex script that will give you and, mm -hmm. and a partner pleasure to be able to communicate about a sex script. And it's kind of, um, yeah, it's a little bit like playing jazz, right? Like you want to be free and you want to improvise <laughs> and you want to be connected and in tune with, uh, you know, the other musician. Um, but you need an overall structure. You need to know what song we're playing and what are the instruments and what are the, the, the changes. Yeah. Two things that struck me right away was that um, I think in the blurb about your book, and even you say that in the beginning, I think, says that you, the Sherlock Holmes of the bedroom. <laughs> And I like this idea of being a sex detective, right? Yeah. To like kind of figure out where people are at and maybe them not really uh, knowing I, why I think this a lot of people come in or... with problems and um, they don't know why it's happening and they don't know what to do about it. Yeah. Uh, and so it is a, and because sex has so many factors that are physiological and psychological and emotional, right? Like take something like desire. It can be impacted by lifestyle, it can be impacted by medications, mm. it can be impacted by stress and anxiety, it can be impacted um, 
by cultural issues, by relational issues, the extent to which you like your partner or attracted to your partner or angry at your partner, <laughs> right? So it is sort Seriously. of like being a little bit of a detective to really find out like, well, what's actually going on here? Yeah. Yeah, I thought also about the script. Very interesting. I would love to talk about that a little bit more. That idea of, oh, now we have to make a script and it seems very um, structured. And in my mind, I was like, oh, that's like the opposite of what yeah. I would like. But then I thought about that saying, right? Know the rules before you can break them. I think that's true. Yeah, know the rules before you can break them. And like, why wouldn't you want to think about like, your approach to sex or how yeah. you have sex or what works and what doesn't. Like, why wouldn't you want to understand your sex script? Because we have this societal idea that sex should be spontaneous, should be natural, it should be easy. We shouldn't have to talk about it. Well, those are all just beliefs that reinforce not communicating. Absolutely So they're right. really yes. just beliefs that reinforce our shame around not communicating it's true and even i had that for a little bit right i was like well i talk a lot about sex even with my partner and then at the same time i would like it to just flow right yeah. <laughs> you're like okay <laughs> I, I mean it really depends also around like what is the issue that you might be dealing with mm -hmm. you know because if your sex script is working if you're enjoying sex if you're having pleasure um, if it's not broken, you don't need to fix it, right? So it's right. really like, where is the issue? Is it a desire issue? And then you have to look mm -hmm. at like, what is your desire framework versus your partner's? Is it an arousal issue? Well, what are you doing to get aroused? What are you not doing to get aroused? Are you just using your bodies? Are you using your minds and bringing in psychological arousal? Um, all, all those sorts of considerations. I would love to read you a couple of our listener questions. Sure. One question I've gotten over and over again is what to do when the libido kind of dies after having a baby? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, after having a baby or just dies. From <laughs> or just dies. I mean, like, you know, I don't just know. Just has a heart attack and... Yeah, I mean, I don't know that, like, it has to be, like, around having a baby. I don't know that that's such a... It's an important factor, but uh, yes. basically we're looking at, um, you know, the loss of libido. I think the issue with having a baby is that it can really start a pattern of getting into a, a sex rut or a sexless relationship because there's a period of time where you're sort of not allowed to at least have, um, you know, intercourse. Um Libido issues can be complex. Um, I, I would often advise couples to think about giving their erotic brains kind of like a psychological jumpstart, right? Like we know that women can fantasize their way to orgasms without touching themselves. Men can get erections without touching themselves. Um, so why not use that psychological arousal with a partner to help us get aroused, to help us get in an erotic frame of mind. So I often suggest, um, you know, starting with something simple side by side, like 
reading some literary erotica aloud together, watching nice. some ethical porn together, listening to something that's erotic and sexy, and just sort of um, without the pressure to have to have sex, just sort of the willingness to begin to turn on your mm. erotic imaginations. That would be one one of 10 things that I could do. I mean, we could do a whole hour just talking Absolutely. about Absolutely. But it's a good point, you know, because I think a lot of people in general in life, right, but with sexuality probably in particular, just say like, oh, we have this problem or I have this problem and I have no clue what to do about it. It's not really true, right? We might not spend any time finding solutions. That's probably more appropriate than having no clue. Right, right, totally. Somebody asked, is it safe to go from analingus to cunnilingus? Um, that's a good question. I am go. I, I don't like to be um, prohibitive about sex. There shouldn't be uh, bacteria or fecal matter from giving analingus, but you know, still nonetheless, you want to be safe. You don't want to introduce anything that can be potentially harmful into uh, the vaginal ecosystem. So I would say to uh, rinse out maybe a little bit and uh and then go into cunnilingus yeah that's great it's to just be safe better safe than sorry <laughs> absolutely absolutely and uh yeah next one any techniques that work best for clits that are really not sensitive um, well, two things. One, um, you can use your own fingers and hand. Uh, if it's a partner giving cunnilingus, you know, very often cunnilingus isn't really just about using one's tongue. It's about using one's whole mouth. So really, the area of the front gums and the front teeth provide a very flat um hard surface uh, that a woman can really lean into and push against or a guy mm -hmm. can really lean in and push into there. So I would say you could use like sort of the flat of your gum, the flat part of your gums, the front of your gums and uh, your teeth. And, and of course, you can introduce uh, vibrators um, into yes. uh, sexual play. Sometimes it's a vibrator that gets you a little used to a kind of intense stimulation, which makes it harder to go back to manual without a vibrator or oral. But that's just about then varying the use of the, the vibrator a little bit. You think, you think that does do something? Like it changes? Yeah, I don't think it's like, oh, like I'm addicted to a vibrator. <laughs> like I don't believe in addiction to, to anything, you know, really real, when it comes to sex. Um, but can you get used to a certain kind of pressure and friction? Sure, if a guy is just always masturbating with a kind of pressure and friction, that doesn't always replicate what it feels like to be with a, a partner and to be inside of a vagina during intercourse. So the same thing is true of women. You can... Uh, desensitize one's clitoris a little bit through uh, intense vibration, but very easily rectified. I mean, very easy problem. Just stop <laughs> using the vibrator for a little while or shift the intensity or whatnot, you know? Yeah. A lot of the times when I reach orgasm after masturbation, I cry profusely. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts? That gets reported a lot. Um, oh, does it? I yeah, it does get reported a lot. And, and it has and, and it has been researched. And I think, you know, the main takeaway that I would say is like, 
you know, don't worry about it. I mean, first of all, there's a lot of um, uh, hormonal and neurological reactions occurring um, uh, during orgasm, and orgasm mm -hmm. itself is a release. And so some people shake with pleasure, some people uh, moan, some people laugh, some people whisper, some people cry. Like, I wouldn't make too much of the reaction, uh, especially if it just feels like a letting go. Um, sometimes it can be a response that has something to do with the sex that you're having, right? Like, maybe you had a uh, Maybe you're having breakup sex uh, mm, after wow. you've broken up with somebody. That would be a reason to cry. Or maybe um, maybe you're having an orgasm, but you don't feel emotionally connected to the person in some way. That might be a reason to cry. Maybe you're having casual sex, and what you really want is to have relational sex, and you feel disconnected. That would be a reason to cry. So sometimes there might be something going on that's causing one to cry, or it could just be an involuntary kind of physiological response. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's well put, because I've experienced it as like a great release as well, um, where yeah. then I didn't question it too much. I think if I would be cry sobbing and very sad and have a different... <laughs> 100%. Different, 100%. different thoughts. Okay, last but not least, and this can be just a couple sentences... How to explain to my boyfriend about my desires and preferences? Um, I always say to express desires and preferences in the form of a fantasy. So mm. let's say you're wanting more oral sex or you're wanting more kink or something like that. You know, tell your partner, you know, Ooh, I have this like really sexy fantasy or I had, if you're embarrassed to say you're having a fantasy, say I had like a sexy dream last night about us. And uh, wow, nice. like, I don't know what my unconscious was up to, but this is what <laughs> we were doing. And I got to say, it was really hot, you know? And so I say always like, you know, um, express it in the form of a fantasy. Also understand when you're expressing your desires and preferences that your partner uh, might be a little freaked out um, because we tend to think of like extreme versions of things. But there's always like a begin, there's always a shallow end of the pool, intermediate, deep, right? You can begin in the shallow end, right? You can take a fantasy or something you want to do like anal play, um, I'm a guy, let's say I want some anal play, right? Like maybe my mind goes right to pegging and like, whoa, like, I don't know, maybe that's a little extreme. Like there's just, there's lots of ways of getting somewhere yes. and all of it is pleasurable and worth enjoying. So start in the shallow end. I love that. It's a wonderful, wonderful advice. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Welcome, Laura. I'm glad we were able to do this. Such a pleasure. How can people find your work? Uh, probably just through my website, iankerner.com. Great. I'll put it in the show notes. Do you still take clients or are you fully booked? People I'm, start I'm pretty, with books. I'm pretty much fully booked and uh, <laughs> we're headed into the summer. But if people are in New York and they have daytime availability. They should reach out. Um, all the info will be in the show notes so people can reach out to you. Amen. 
Thank you guys so much for listening to the Pussy Church Podcast. And please check out our amazing guest, Ian Kerner, in the show notes. If you like today's show, please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It helps us keep the show going. Where if you simply tell a friend about the show, that will be amazing too. See you next Sunday.